Every one of the watch brands participates in receiving these like fashion trend reports where basically the companies agree, hey everyone, this color or this pattern or this combo is gonna be popular this year. That information is made available to accessory companies like jewelry and watches. So I'm guessing one of those color trend reports said black and gold. And again, they all read the same stuff and they're like, okay, so let's do that. They don't know when it's gonna be popular or how, they just know that they should have black and gold watches and that those black and gold enthusiasts out there will be all top of it. On this week's show, David tries his hand at being a spy in the freezing Swedish tundra, Ariel goes surfing in the California sun, and Rick designs the ideal dial color to match a Scotsman with sunburn. All this while discussing the automotive watch genre, the diversification of industry players, the rise of the fashion watch brands to take on the luxury watch brands, and at some point there's some watch reviews. Enjoy the show! Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly, your weekly antidote to all things watch podcast. We are joined by Ariel, who, although it is the middle of the night, is still technically basking in the sunshine that is the West Coast of the United States. And we are joined by David, who is chittering away in the Arctic Circle in a location that is not to be disclosed because he's been flown in top secret by helicopter under pain of death. He's had to sign all sorts of things. He's already had wee men following him around asking him not to take photographs of stuff. David is, shall we say, slightly chilly. David, let's go to you first. How cold actually is it in the part of Sweden you're in? Yeah. Sorry, I gave away the country. Oh dear. Am yeah. I going to get arrested now? <laughs> no, I will. By the time this airs, I'll be out of the country, so it's all good. Maybe oh, Sw- okay, Swedish spies will hunt me down, you know, wearing stylish turtlenecks uh, or whatever. Being a, a Swedish spy, the most difficult spy, because you're like six foot two blonde and wearing, wearing turtlenecks. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't really blend in anywhere else. They can spy in their own country. <laughs> it's in- incredibly cold. It's minus 25 degrees. Celsius, which is crispy in a way that that is is, is rarely experienced. It's funny because when I arrived, I was thinking to myself, okay, so I have to go get breakfast, but what if I get locked outside and freeze to death? Okay, that's not good. Because seriously, (laughs) I was I didn't know like the location very well. Door to door, my travel was like 15 or 16 hours. I had to change flights two times to three flights, and then a car drive up here and all all that nonsense. So it was an out-of-body experience to arrive here. And then the next morning I was like, okay, now I'm here. I have to go get breakfast. I don't know where I am. And it was genuinely <laughs> something I had to consider. You, you have a little like electronic badge that you have to swipe everywhere so they can track you and you're not, you, you cannot uh-huh. enter places. So I was like, if I mistake <laughs> the building or something like that, then I'm, I'm genuinely screwed here, especially if there's no reception or something. But thankfully, I made it. I had breakfast. I got back to the room. So that's all good. And closing thought we have like four hours of daylight so it's uh-huh. a, so it's a long sunrise and a long sunset and then 20 hours of miserable darkness the secret location that you're in i have been also but during the time when there is no daylight it is perpetual darkness oh my god and i've also been there when it's perpetual light as well so i've been at both ends of that both are still equally freezing <laughs> yeah. and the thing that gets me up there is the complete lack of moisture in the air people yes. don't appreciate it it is so so dry it's unbelievable drink an enormous amount of water but meanwhile bathing probably just out of his hot tub or just been lounging on the deck or something ariel how's sunny california you know given my sleep schedule i also only get about four hours of daylight a day (laughs) (laughs) It's the same thing for me. I was in a hot tub recently, that is true. And I'm here compiling the analysis for David so we can determine how uh, cold resistant he is, you know, 
We have all these like cold resistant <laughs> watches. We need a cold resistant guy. So cold resistant journalist. <laughs> David's gonna walk to the like North Pole or something, and yeah, we'll see. We'll see how far his wrist makes it. If David's gonna be officially the blog to watch cold journalist that goes everywhere cold and dark, that's can I not volunteer happening. as the as a Scotsman to go to all the warm places, please? So Dubai Watch Week anywhere warm. So you want to be the tropical Scotsman? I'll be the tropical Scotsman. Okay. I think that's a good tagline. Tropical Scotsman. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a lot of them. That almost sounds like a weird like a dial you know like what's you got got one of those <laughs> tropical scotsman oh yeah <laughs> me and david livingston and that's it uh, yeah yeah tropical that's scotsman. gonna have to be a watch at some point you're gonna have to work with someone <laughs> and invent what the tropical scotsman dial looks like it would almost certainly be a very odd shade of pink okay or purple sure just because that's the color that scotsmen tend to go when exposed to sunlight for more than four hours i a day. see pink and purple dial that could be great you could tell someone it was for some like weird you know chewing gum for kids or you know <laughs> skin color <laughs> exactly exactly Hi everyone, Sean Lorenson here. I'm coming in today to talk to you a little bit about the latest edition of Time Machine. So generally Time Machines is focused on talking about watches that capture a particular moment in design or in history. Usually that means a lot of vintage watches. For this edition, we've gone a little bit more modern with the Cartier Roadster. Produced between 2001 and 2012, this was Cartier's attempt to make an automotive watch for the 21st century. And it's sort of a divisive reference among Cartier fans. Some people absolutely love it, some people absolutely hate it. But what's really drawn me to this watch is the idea of taking an unorthodox approach to automotive design. Most automotive design watches are explicitly very European forward. They're trying to capture the feel of some racing Ferrari or Porsche or Aston Martin. It's very Eurocentric, very motorsport focused. And especially in the case of something like Hoyer or Tag Hoyer, you get something that's made to go on the racetrack. The Roadster is almost the exact opposite of that. It's very much a lifestyle watch. It's taking some direct visual cues from surprising places. There's a whole lot of Americana and a whole lot of very street-focused automotive design going on here that I found really fascinating. So handing it back over to you guys, do you have any particular opinions on automotive design? Is there any sort of automotive-themed watch that you prefer? Or is this something that's not really up your alley? bit different we've heard directly from the horse's mouth there from sean who has written this week's monday editorial article and that's going to be where we start so sean's article was discussing the whys and wherefores of watches and the automotive industry and in particular the cartier roadster and he finished with a question what are our opinions on automotive themed watches and this one in particular what are your favorites do you have a favorite automotive-themed watch, Ariel? I mean, you know me and favorites. I mean, you're talking about a whole category. I Yesterday, on the Superlative uh -huh. podcast, I was interviewing a watch journalist who was talking about having a job, writing about car watches for a couple of car magazines. And he was like, years ago, he was like, you know what? I realized at some point I was going to run out of stuff. And he was surprised that like year after year, writing for three car publications, he never ran out of automotive-themed watches. So it's like the biggest open-ended question in the world you know what does that mean is it cars or watches inspired by the cars is it for the drivers and things like that i just feel like i need a more narrow question right so you want me to do more work that's what you're saying i i'm just so. saying it's like it's like here's all these amazing crazy things out there arbitrarily choose one to define them all i'm like okay i don't know idea how to do that okay well let's start then with the car what do you think of the car roadster 
This watch is popular for the same reasons as Infamous, and that's because it looks different. And the people that hate it are like, I hate it because it looks different. The people that love it, they're like, oh my God, I love it because it looks different. So huh. this is a perfect example of the type of watch which the market needs because of its polarization, and it's always been good at that. There's no one way of rendering a watch that looks like it's streamlined and sort of has some aerodynamics to it. The, the Roadster is just one way. For me, it really reminds me of like very flowy designs on 1950s and early 1960s cars where it's sort of like inspired by the world of like, you know, rocketry and things like that. I see in the, you know, the interesting crown structure that where the shape moves into the crystal. I see those on like, you know, those those rocket style fenders and things like that on American cars. So I feel that that's where a lot of those design elements come from. And it's it's good for what it is. It's probably going to make a comeback. That's what's great about the Roadster. It doesn't matter which version you cover. You're going to have some people saying, I love it. And you're going to have some people saying, I hate it. I've never seen a more consistent conversation on watch than that. Yeah. So this watch uh, ceased production in 2012. David, do you agree with Ariel? Is this going to make a comeback everything's going to make a comeback it's just it's just a matter of time <laughs> you know we've, we've been seeing that it's kind of ridiculous what's happening right now i feel like the number of strips the brands have taken to their archives is unbelievably high i'm not sure if they realize that you know if you if you do just that 20 years from now you will be releasing the uh 20th anniversary of the 50th anniversary so that, that's not going to be very exciting but that's still a long way to go so yeah i'm sure it's going to come back for sure Seen as Arrow completely refuses to answer the question, <laughs> do you have a favorite car inspired watch? Well, I really like the Jacob and Co. with the W16 engine that works inside. It's not the not the cheapest car themed watch for sure, but the, <laughs> but I do like it a lot. Uh, so so that's one of them. I also like those that are successful at you know going after the styling of different cars and their interiors and dashboards, but very few of them get it right. Sometimes it's just different numerals and whatever. So so yeah, I, I think there are some good ones out there. But what what I find to be fun is to go on Chrono 24 and look at like old Ferrari watches and you know whatever else that, that these brands had uh, before you blow uh, like Gerard Perrigo and you can find some really genuinely cool 90s watches uh, out there uh, themed for cars yeah for like for two or three thousand dollars too like really good stuff yeah exactly exactly old titanium you know Rotterdam whatever sure some of them will be overpriced but if you if you dig you know deep enough you'll find some really good deals as sorry as saying are there any collaborations between car brands because this wasn't a collaboration between Carte and a brand it was just taking inspiration from uh, Chevrolet's etc is there a collaboration between a watch company and a car brand that you think has been particularly successful in that it has genuinely merged and created something that's greater than the sum of the two parts. I think the Hublot and Ferrari things yes. are fantastic. I think they did some of the best jobs. Right. They're cool watches. You have the La Ferrari ones, which were just really popular and, and nuts and did a great great job of having like a crazy car engine on the wrist. Richard Mille is arguably, you know, the brand itself is inspired by like you know, like F1 and this sort of supercar for the wrist thing. And some of those do that incredibly well, like that McLaren one. It's just crazy, you know, it does all the stuff. Over the past, I remember there's been brands, Porsche design, for example, in the sense that's interesting mm. sort of arm that came out of the car company in a way. I remember years ago, there was, this, you know, the, the car company Spiker and there was these cool Spiker watches that came out. And I love yeah. when there were sort of like new cars to try to have like a watch tie-in and things like that, like the watch to buy with it. And I think what's interesting is there's been this overlap between cars and watches. If you love watches, you probably like cars and vice versa. And people have known this, but there's no like direct way of monetizing on that relationship. So we just have every 
experiment of how to do that. Every single kind mm-hmm. of way of monetizing on that love we've seen and we'll continue to see more. And I think that's why it's such a fun area. Has there been anyone at the kind of, you know, David's driving his Volvo? Has there been anything at the kind of entry level car that has been successful with an entry level watch? Mm-hmm. Or is everything Ferraris and Hublots and Richard Mille? Like a Zastava limited edition? I don't know. Or a Poliot Lada collaboration? No. Um... Hey, there's the Casio edifice for Honda Team Racing. Ooh, but that's racing that's expensive. Racing by default is. It had to be racing, right? <laughs> yeah, it should have been just a Honda Civic or something. There was a Zin. There was a Zin for the Mazda Miata and for Audi for that matter. Oh, right. Yeah. If uh, going to the Richard Mule side of things is not quite right, then go and search Crow24 for some Zin watches. Some news this week that we will chew over for a few moments. Reported by Rob, our friends at WatchPro, was some other friends of the show from WatchFinder starting or proposing to get involved in doing a bit of what Chrono24 do. Basically being a location whereby they won't own the watches that they're selling, but you can list them. I assume they'll take a fee of some description, but signs that WatchFinder are trying to move into the Chrono 24 sphere. Any thoughts on this? I feel that this kind of relates to conversations we've had before about companies not sticking to the knitting, whether that be media companies selling watches or watch companies doing media. Now we have a brand that's known for owning, servicing, selling the watches that they own, trying to be like a a marketplace for individuals. Is this just a, a natural evolution? or <laughs> signs that they need to do something differently to step up what they're doing. I don't want to sort of hurt anyone's feelings over at WatchFinder, but my question is, why are you guys doing this? I think there's this idea of like, well, we don't know it's not going to work unless we try. So, okay, that's yeah. true. But, you know, this is a company that made a, a name for itself by being able to sell inventory that they have. So they have this good inventory, they can sell it. They might see this natural progression of opening themselves up like a platform, but they will be one of many people that are trying to make their own platform. Chrono24 sort of barely has their own little niche because it's hard to sort of steal thunder away from the major platforms, which would be basically like eBay. Watchfinder seems to think that, that maybe they can offer better, what, visibility, better pricing, better sales. It's it's very unclear. I think that there's this interest in these companies sort of bundling their services. We can do everything. You know, I mean, it's part of Richemont, Investor. They are interested, of course, in making this company look good. And so they're just trying to try everything to say that they can so that no one claims that they haven't. I don't think that anyone seriously thinks like, oh, wow, that's just what the world needed. I'm still not sure most people outside of you know the UK in a lot of places know what WatchFinder does. I know that they're soon going to start entering the, the United States a little bit. So I still think they have a long ways to go and explain what their current business model is before they start entering new ones. Have you ever used them, David? I've never used them, but I'm, I'm on Chrono24 right now. So <laughs> <That's> a... <laughs> <laughs> Working hard. Yeah. <laughs> okay, confession time. How long is your followed list or your favorites list on Chrono24, David? Uh, it's extremely short because the, the user experience is so clunky and this interface is so freaking clunky. I hate it. So just go there. I find something every once in a fortnight that I like and I, I remember that and then that's it. But I never buy anything, so it's okay.
okay but i just I, i'm just <laughs> on the hunt for like the oddball watches here and there that are hard to find and are interesting it's not like i'm looking for anything specific so and i find it's funny because i just updated the uh, the browser on my phone or did something like that i know and i opened chrono 24 and i had four or five different pop-ups be before i could start browsing i was like infuriating isn't it like you go up there oh do you want to chat no do you want cookies no do you want to create a profile no do you want to save this thing no can i browse now and i'm like wow <laughs> yes that is increasingly the user experience for these kind of sites it's especially the chat bots do mm. you want to talk about this the worst one for me is probably busherer mm -hmm. you go on there and no, every time you change the page or whatever you seem to be approached by somebody else wanting to have a chat with you yeah they're just lonely. Ariel, do you have a buying experience from Chrono24 or any, anywhere like that? Or are you, like myself and David, primarily browsers and not buyers? I've bought things from there. I've used a lot of the platforms at least once to see what it's like. eBay definitely gets the bulk of my attention. Chrono24 still has a lot of watches on there. I think that a lot of people like Chrono24 because they think they can bypass Chrono24. Like, let's make a deal on the side, which apparently still happens a lot of the time. And that's sort of been the most interesting thing about their business model is that they're there's like a lot of money they don't capture by definition. So it's kind of a weird thing, but I, I, I've definitely used it. I, I like some of the people there. I think they have an okay service, but as David said, it's it's clearly has a lot of compromises or sort of oddities that I think will always prevent it from being a mainstream tool. Like you, you sort of just have to like, no, you know, wink, wink, here's how to use Chrono24. <laughs> and I think things like eBay have sort of engineered out a lot of that. And there's a lot more protections and things, at least, uh, you know, straightforward there. So I, and I admire everyone for trying to get into this, but we are now at a time of great experimentation. There's going to be more platforms that pop up because ultimately it's a struggle right now for a lot of these companies to sell online. One of the reasons they have not sold online as rapidly as they may have wanted to and focus on retails, business they know and they understand. You talk to a lot of retailers right now and they will not pretend that their online sales is great. There are a lot of great sales online, but it's it's a challenging area for people. They don't know how to drive traffic. They don't know how people get their websites. They don't know how to convert on their websites. And there's a lot of testing that needs to happen right now, a lot of evolution. And it's our best interest as media to sort of sit on the outside, watch, comment on what's going on, and understand that it's going to be a couple of years before there's anything like a common or universal way of buying watches online. The other interesting sideways move in the retail industry reported on uh, our own site on a blog to watch.com is actually from eBay, who we've already spoken about, and that is eBay going bricks and mortar. So it does sound like nobody can decide what it is they want to do. We've got WatchFinder going to being a listings organization. We've got Chrono24 getting into media and we've got eBay opening shops. This is in the New York Diamond District. Well, these are pop-ups. These are pop-up shops. Is it just a pop-up? Yes. So it's not going to be there full-time? Is, the, is that the story? eBay has done real-world activations for a number of years. They know the importance of having a tangible experience. We've done events with eBay, and their team is very dedicated to the very practical goal of making sure that people associate eBay with real life luxury buying experiences, not just the online component. So that's been something very important for them. 
it is sort of a dream, I think, at companies like eBay to have these kiosks, if you will, where people just can, you know, bring in inventory and trade in inventory and value inventory and do some type of transaction with it. Because it's still sometimes a battle to get someone to like take pictures and make a listing. And it'd be great if you could just sort of drop it off and, you know, someone at eBay would do the rest. So they played with this idea in the past. So I don't know how all these activations work, but they're really about getting people comfortable shopping on eBay as well as alternatively listing on eBay when uh, that might be appropriate for them. Yeah, I mean, I was in uh, Kensington down in London recently and they've got an Amazon supermarket. So yeah, it does seem to be one of these things that, you know, there's there's a theory, certainly in the UK, I don't know if it's the same in America, that at the end of the day, all companies become property companies. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> whether there's just a thing that is it's just a very natural progression to go bricks and mortar at some stage but it takes a while to figure out how you use that to benefit your business in the case of eba maybe it is pop lots of pop-ups here here then everywhere that it acts both as somewhere that they can make money but also as the equivalent of a billboard that people can see that it's real that it does exist that it's not just somehow out there on the internet and therefore ethereal and therefore not quite as you know, you're not able to kick the tires as much to an online thing, but if you're used to occasionally seeing, oh, these you know, staffed by real people and not, you know, robots, then it makes you more comfortable with the service that they're offering. And obviously it's easy to go in and have a chat with somebody and get some reassurance that things like the, you know, the, the various schemes that they run to guarantee the authenticity of watches are actually real and effective. Okay, good week, bad week. Well, I've been trying to figure out a way of shoehorning the World Cup into this. <laughs> I have no idea whether, Ariel, whether you give two hoots about... I know all about the controversy. About football. I have no idea whether you give two hoots about football. Obviously, there's lots of watch content in the World no Cup. No idea who's playing at all. Your team drew <laughs> last night against the mighty football nation of Wales. Oh. So, yeah, the mighty Welsh held you to a one-all draw. Uh, David, are, did Hungary make it to the World Cup or are they like Scotland staying at home? Uh, 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 <laughs> or do you neither know nor care? Uh, nah, me getting started on Hungarian football is a bad is a bad idea, and a potential podcast onto it. So, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, listen out for the spin-off show. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be me and David talking about football. Yeah. So I- I'm assuming that means Hungary didn't make it. So who's your who's your team? I'm not into football at all, to be honest with you. But I can still whine about it because it's just so much money down the drain. It's on. It's it's unbelievable. But we didn't make it. It's true. See, there's this thing in Scotland, which is that it's and you know, don't mean to offend. I'll confess, I am half English, so I say this with all due decency. But there's this thing in Scotland that if Scotland don't make it, then the rule is you support anyone except England. Statement they got Andy Murray into trouble some years ago in the world of tennis and football. So that's the rule is you support anyone from England. I don't know who Hungarians support when Hungary don't make it. Oh, no is there idea. a country you all go to? No. Is it like Eurovision? You support your neighbours, or is the one team you definitely don't support those of your neighbouring countries? I'm I'm really not not sure about about the the, the petty tensions that football fans might have against <laughs> totally irrationally against other countries. Yeah. How are the Ger- How are the Germans doing? I could see the Hungarians. You know. You know, being cool with a German team, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I think so, probably. No, yeah, yeah. Germans, you know, whatever. I'm so pleased I picked 
two co-hosts that knows so little and cares so little about <laughs> football. David, have you not got a brother or a sister or a girlfriend that knows a bit more, no. a bit more interest about no. football that you could bring on next week instead? What would we know exactly? I don't yeah. know, just general world interest and when subjects other When we meet footballers, we have to explain watches to them, so we're, <laughs> we feel that we're a little bit more high education in that department. The game is Ooh. great, very impressive, but I don't care who wins or loses. Well, the point is that up until December the 18th, is going to be a good time for watch spotters <laughs> because certainly in the UK, all the commentators and pundits they have on the TV are supporting their Pateks and their Ublos and their Rolexes. They're not wearing it while playing, right? They're not no, doing no, that. No, no, no. Okay. So the guys in the studio who are commentating, so you've got the likes of Micah Richards. Oh, and they wear the watches. They wear the watches. Oh, so Micah I see. Richards will have a gold Patek Nautilus travel time on and Alan Shearer have his hublots on and all the rest of it and you'll see all the managers wearing Richard Mules and and all the rest of it. So it does become a bit of a World Cup of watch spotting. I'm sure there'll be lots of publications will be will be dining out on the additional content. Hublot of course is it going to turn out to be a bad sponsorship? Who knows? The, the World Cup's obviously kicked off with some degree of uh, controversy and I dare say it will continue but i can tell that i'm kind of having this conversation with myself now yes <laughs> unless you have anything to contribute to good week who else has had a good week and a bad week apparently you are having a bad week rick because you picked two co-hosts who have no idea <laughs> yeah i'm having a bad week so good week watch punditry watch spotting bad week me any other nominations? <laughs> Still thinking about what's going on in Qatar over there. David, you're complaining about the accommodation potential of being locked out in Friesland, so I don't know if you've seen what's qualifying as luxury accommodation in Qatar. Basically, people are being put up in tents with two camp beds and a fan, not even a bit of air conditioning, a fan in a country whereby they've had to air condition the football stadiums because it's so warm. All I can say, if they are feeling hot, they they are welcome to the Arctic Circle at any time <laughs> to chill off a little bit. Swapsies. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm going to say good week for, for Fortis because I forgot to mention the, uh, you know, because we got hungry up on the cold and the dryness uh but these guys it's it's just i i just came here with with, with fortis and i just learned that they make around three and a half thousand watches which is which is way less than i than i was expecting you know it's it's crazy the uh, the company changed ownership a number of few a few years ago and the new owner is really into watch it's just he appears to be like a genuine watch guy who's running the company and i think you know good good stuff comes from those companies that are small and the child and they're not ran by a committee but but by somebody who's, who's really into watches it just it creates a brand as his own pet playground in a way and uh, the reason why fortis is here is because they are firing 15 watches into space to see if they fall apart you know uh, under the, the tremendous g-forces and vibrations that these rockets create uh, these are unmanned rockets so once these watches will be worn by uh, somebody who's traveling into space they will be um, exposed to uh, g-forces and vibrations that are a lot, lot less severe otherwise you know the uh, the passengers would disintegrate uh and so you know chances are the watches will survive and if they do then it's a good week for fortis there's a risk of being blown up uh, uh, you know
know, I had to take part in this safety briefing before coming here and they said that sirens and smoke can occur at any time and that there's no reason to panic. <laughs> That's perfectly normal. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> you really drew the short straw here, didn't you? <laughs> I thank you for saying that. Yes, yes. And I, was like... <laughs> I was thinking it would be convenient, just a couple of countries away. No. What, how many flights yeah. was it? I, I left home at 6.40 in the morning and I arrived after 11 p.m. Oh my gosh. It's literally supposed to be like a two-hour flight, right? No, no, <laughs> so not. Hey everyone, Ripley Sellers here. Arnold & Son has some new Golden Nebula watches. Well, they're kind of new watches. It's the same sizes as before, so 38mm and 41.5mm, and it's the same material that they featured before, 18 karat red gold, but instead of having silver finished bridges in that kind of star-shaped pattern on the front, those are now finished in red gold to match the case. It's quite a bit more cohesive, but realistically speaking, we'd probably be calling this a dial variation if this watch actually had a dial and wasn't a skeletonized version. You're looking at $29,800 USD for the the small one, $32,100 USD for the larger model. And since these are largely the same as previous iterations, uh, what do you guys think? Do you like these ones or any of the other ones? What's your favorite? Arnold & Son Nebula, they've done quite a few since the model was first unveiled in 2016, and there's plenty of options now. So uh, what do you think? So you have heard there from Ripley, who is introducing us to the new releases from Arnold and Son, the Arnold and Son Nebula. As he pointed out, this watch has been around in various iterations. Uh, are we fans of any particular Nebula previous release from Arnold and Son? Ariel, how familiar are you with them? Yeah, this is a nice design. It has, you know, this sort of nice radial symmetry in the skeletonized watch. It's it's definitely not new. I reviewed it when it first came out. I just so we sort of wonder exactly what the market for these watches is. It's sort of like a whimsical dress watch that has some aggressive architectural elements to it, but it's still very much a dress watch. And, and I'll ask you guys, like, who is the target demographic for this? I'm still not sure. I don't know. I mean, mm. it's an impressive piece of en engineering when you look at it. It is a beautiful watch. It's not going to be the first watch you own. Like, you ain't going out to a shop and going, looking at all that's available and going, I know what I want. It'll be that Arnold and Son in the corner. And it's very possibly not the first Arnold and Son that you would own <laughs> of everything that's in the range. But I can see if you're into the brand, you know, this is, it kind of reminds me of the sort of three bridges type approach mm -hmm. that you would see from Gerard Perrigo. Yeah, that's a good point. So it, it kind of reminds me of that sort of aesthetic. To my mind, most skeletonized watches look horrible. I think the people that do it best are actually Hublot, closely followed by others within LVMH group like Zenith. And then you have the much smaller brands that are really good at it. And mm. Arnold and Son do produce a skeletonized watch that actually looks nice. So I think if you're just into, oh, look at what this actually is, what it does, there's no way you're wearing this and somebody doesn't approach you. If you're sitting at a dinner table, doesn't add whether it be the date you're on or anybody else actually ask you well, what's going on here david we have just to just to jump in however david and i have recorded a podcast for these guys which is actually due out this coming sunday from uh, arnold and son and angelus david do you want to just give a very brief resume of that yeah i think i think that was that was a really an interesting podcast because we recorded it with the uh, with the uh with the guy managing both arnold and son and angelus and i feel like you know of course it's it's difficult to do because uh, the the two brands are so so different in uh, both in terms of their history their current design language and, and and all that but 
you know, he gives us some really proper insight into how that is manageable, what the what the plans are. And if you've been excited about Honored and Son or Angulus, then then I think it's it's a it's a great listen because it gives you some things to look forward to when it comes to these brands. And again, like we are looking at this Nebula, for example, right now. When I looked up at the price on it, and it's fourteen and a half thousand dollars in steel. And sure, that's that's not cheap, but it's basically a, a, a nicer Datejust. And the the amount of watch that you get with the Datejust is tremendous, of course. But at the same time, if you look at this and the amount of work that has gone into this, and the fact that Donald and Son seems to have realized that okay, we should we are making spectacular watches, but they are too large. And now that these are available in forty one point five and thirty eight, they look fantastic. Now they are really getting the hang of these things, and I would be really very tempted. Sure, it's still a huge amount of money, but at the same time, you can go out and get a brand spanking new watch from a small brand, handmade in Switzerland. I think that's hand assembled. I think that's that's fantastic value. Yeah, that is probably my observation of this. Is these are between twenty nine and thirty two thousand dollars in the two sizes, and it does feel like a lot of watch for that money. You know, looking at this, if you had said that the the forty one in gold was eighty thousand. Mm. I probably would have gone, yeah, it feels a bit expensive, but it wouldn't have surprised me. But you're basically talking about something that has proper artisanal craft to it, looks stunning, but is just a really expensive grey market Rolex. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely the case, and having, as you said, having spoken to the guys for the podcast at Arnold & Son, you can definitely tell that they're getting into the groove. I don't know if it's the... Was you Perry citizen influence that is just much more market driven? Your know, big company knows how to sell mm. lots of stuff that actually they're just honing down their offering to be something that is just much more easy to sell a lot more of, despite the fact they're still going to make very, very few of them. They will sell a few hundred, but maybe even less. And and that's perfectly enough for them. These are, you know, this is a one man, one man thing. And if it's a one man mission, sure, it's owned by citizen, but you don't get those vibes from our lens. <laughs> on an angulus at all i mean they're making 88 of each of the sizes so an 88 piece proper limited edition for 30 grand yeah gold does seem like not a bad shout ariel final thoughts from yourself um i, I look i like these watches that think of focus on space we just got an incoming release of a christian vanderclaw watch that we may discuss oh. next week because it's going to be released uh, pretty soon. You know, and when I hear things like that, I mean, that is a watch with a little planetarium on the dial. Yeah. And there's something really emotionally cool about that. So I think that there's a lot of rich territory in emotionally satisfying complications that focus on things related to, you know, cycles in the universe. So we had a lot of watches that are like space visuals, but getting into some more complications, you know, even some of like the Mars time things, I think that's going to be a very rich area. Uh, that's what I think about when I hear Nebula. I want to see more stuff like that. Well, go check out the article at theblogtowatch.com. Okay, a couple of themes now. We have a bit of a black and gold theme. So we had from Tag Heuer this week a new watch, black and gold. And we also had a range of watches from Hamilton, the black and gold watches 2022 capsule. David, you wrote the particular article on the Hamilton side of things. Tell us 
what you thought of this range. Why does it exist? You actually got hands on with these. No, these are hands on images by Ariel, actually. Yeah, I saw them. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> I think these are great. I, I am especially a, a fan of the Ventura Chrono Quartz. I think that's just such a fantastic design. Really tempting uh, to get. It's, it's, it's a watch that I look at and I feel like it's missing from every collection that doesn't have it. With this terraced lugs, basically, and this cool, like, triangular case shape, and then the three subtitles. And sure, it's a quartz, but it's less than $1,000. And it's so inherently Hamilton. I think it's just dripping with, like, this 1950s, 1960s coolness. It's over the top in some ways, and yet it's elegant in others. So uh, that gets my vote from this selection of black and gold Hamilton watches. And why, Ariel, do you think we see a releases from Hamilton and Black and Gold the same week we see something from Tag? Is Black and Gold the new green or Tiffany blue? Or is it just a pure coincidence? Well, we know that every one of the watch brands participates in receiving these like fashion trend reports where basically the companies agree, hey, everyone, this color or this pattern or this combo is going to be popular this year. Because if they're all in on it, then it sort of helps validate it for one another and it helps make it a popular look. And that information is, so, is sort of made available to accessory companies like jewelry and watches so that they can prepare products that fit into those color themes. So I'm guessing one of those color trend reports said black and gold. And again, they all read the same stuff and they're like, okay, so let's do that. They don't know when it's going to be popular or how. They just know that they should have black and gold watches and that those black and gold enthusiasts out there will be all top of it. But again, Hamilton is a brand that likes to celebrate its relationship with Hollywood. Black and gold is a very sort of old Hollywood palette of colors. It's a great mm. sort of going out color. It's also very masculine. And so I think that, you know, they have the Jazz Master watches, for example. A black and gold Jazz Master is an evening going out watch. Makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, we know that Hamiltons are not that expensive and they obviously have a good value behind it. So yeah, nothing really novel there, but sort of a good thing. And same thing with Tag. Oh, black and gold's a trend. They, you know, they got to keep coming out with Carreras. They can't all be inspired by, you know, our love of historic video games or, you know, Swiss mountains. So they got to go with the <laughs> yeah. color trends. I'm particularly impressed by the tag, I have to say. It's particularly pretty. I think, though, when you look at the price, so there's a £20,000 tag chronograph versus the Arnold and Son we just spoke about, hmm. nine grand more. You know, you start to see where the value is. Okay, if you want a chronograph, then yeah, you have to go to the tag. But I, I don't know of anybody who actually wants a chronograph. They happen to buy the chronograph because it's pretty. But I don't, has anyone ever actually sat out with the idea, yeah, I've got to go and buy a chronograph? Mm. I'm not sure such a thing happens. But I can understand that you see this tag and go, that's very pretty. Oh, it happens to have a chronograph. But I think the difference in cost between this and the Aronson just shows you a, a different appreciation of, of value despite the fact that this uh, particular tag is very pretty indeed. I do like the Hamiltons. The Ventura, I've never, have I ever seen one? I don't think I've ever actually seen one, but they do look like really funky watches. I think you need to be in a particular setting, a particular mindset to pull off wearing that, probably even more so if you're going to do it in black and gold. Yeah. But as you say, for less than $1,000, it's not a it's not a purchase you're necessarily going to need to wear every day in order to have justified buying it at that price it is a sort of thing if you're a watch collector you could buy own and just wear occasionally when you thought yeah this is this is going to be the, the watch that gets everybody's attention 
particularly a kind of red bar type thing this is the sort of thing that folk are going to flock to rather than the other submariner in the other bezel cover that everybody else has decided to bring that evening so yeah very impressed with these however to link it on to the next watch the thing that did catch my attention was is it the case that the bund is back my favorite strap uh, combo because hamilton have one of those black and gold watches with a bund on and ralph loren have also produced this week a watch with a bund on it gentlemen are we pro bund or anti bund pro bund big buns big buns for everyone really Cheers. <laughs> you like big buns and you cannot lie won't lie about it will not lie about it <laughs> <laughs> david what do you think about bun straps i have a rather narrow wrist and so does ariel actually some i'm surprised that ariel you say that you like like bun straps I can't make them look good on me at all. The, the thing is, is that uh, I think they extend the lock to the lock in a sense. And it's technically a leather bracelet with a watch attached to it. And I, I feel like, you know, I would probably need a wider wrist to support that. But I could be wrong. Ariel, can you pull these things off? A good bun really wraps around your wrist, right? I guess if it's too stiff, it's not going to. But it, it's really at its best to make a small watch look big enough. That's for me where, where it really works well. Like, uh, I don't think the review has been published yet, but I was wearing the 39 millimeter wide Hanhart 417 ES uh, 1954, which is a traditional pilot chronograph watch, sort of a type 20 dial. And it, you know, it has this boond and like without the boond, it looks tiny, but with the boond sort of tall, I'm like, okay, this works. And so for me, there's a lot of utility, a lot of watches out there. They're just a bit too small for us. And you put it on a boond, you're like, oh, look, it works. So mm -hmm. hold on a second. Where's this boond coming from? Are you telling me I've been pronouncing it wrong all this time? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> bund, boond. That is German. Surely if it's German, bund. Must be bund. Someone's going someone's gonna to tell me. You know, this is, <laughs> I, at, at some point you realize there's no proper pronunciation for any anyone. Oh, you know what I mean? It's like, anything. we all know we're talking. B-U-N-D. That's what we're saying. <laughs> really? <laughs> but it's it, it has that tool. It looks cool because it also fits with sort of like a biker jacket theme or a bomber jacket theme. So if you like if you like leather, if you're someone that leather is part of your fashion sense, they work really well there. So I wouldn't say there's a lot of functional utility anymore, but from a fashion perspective or to make a smaller watch look a little bit bigger, there's a real there's a real purpose there. Just a second, because because for this Hamilton article, I did I, I, I did look up where, where Bund is coming from and uh, uh -huh. I found it in my article and I, I say um, Bund straps allegedly were first uh, worn by pilots uh, of the Bundesrepublik, i.e. Uh, Germany of the Second World War. And the reason why they did this is that they were flying in, in, in airplanes, you know, like where, where the cabins were sometimes really very cold. And to have a watch yeah. on, you know, the case, this kept the case back from freezing onto your wrist. Very handy also for the Arctic Circle. And in case there's a there's a fire, it, it also doesn't burn onto your wrist so quickly. So I think that's probably why. And then another reason I can think of, and I'm not sure how you know how much this applies, is that maybe it's more stable on the wrist. It's not sliding around quite so much. So maybe to use it in in this environment where there's a lot of vibrations and whatever, it's just easier to locate and, and to use the buttons and whatever. So so I believe it's Bundesrepublik and it's short for uh, for that. Uh, that's where Bund is coming from. I was right. So Ariel wins. Uh -huh. yep. <laughs> Are we saying, David, that when Ariel carried out the blog to watch risk assessment for sending you to the Arctic Circle, he failed in his duty as an employer to supply you with the appropriate bun strap 
to go with your wristwatch, uh, and therefore you risk the freezing of the watch onto yours. Because I'm just saying, where there's blame, there's a claim. <laughs> yeah, M- making you aware of that. All I can say is that is that there's you know what watch I have on my wrist, and it's freaking cold. It's the last thing on my mind. Uh, just just not getting <laughs> trapped outside in in pitch darkness into 20 hours a day and freezing to death is really high on my <laughs> surprises. What time am I freezing to death? Is not so much. <laughs> it's actually a good point. If you had to think about what material is going to be least likely to harm you in extreme cold. It definitely is not going to be metal. Maybe it's like um, maybe a carbon material. Like, what do you want touching your skin if it's really cold? Leather, for sure. Leather? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. What do we think of the Pomo watch? This is. Oh, yeah. I don't think it says Polo big enough. That's really my concern. <laughs> you, you think it's just not emphasized? You think you need a bigger brand? Like, everyone has made that comment. And, like, I get it that there's a lot of things on their clothing where they have it really big, but, like, it's just it's it's so glaring like okay guys could we just try it maybe maybe like a third smaller just a little bit smaller like it's so much bigger than Ralph Lauren you know what i mean i saw this watch a couple of days ago it's it's quite nice they did a good job of making it feel like an actual sort of vintage watch. It has that removable uh, boon strap. You're rubbing it in to it. Yeah. A nice manually wound movement by Lejeune Perret. Again, speaking of Arnold and Son, because, uh, you know, same company there. So I, I thought this was well done. It's a bit on the pricey side. It's close to 3000 bucks, $2,700. But this is going to do well for them. I think this can be a popular piece. You know, I think that in the future, they might want to v- come out with a variety of dials in the same case, but just have like some different dials and things like that. I think that there's there's some legs to this design, but overall, this is a way, way better watch than their last recent watches. And and I think that in a large way, they've, they've redeemed themselves if, if, if that was necessary. You know, that's a very positive place for them to be right now. Yeah, it's a pretty looking watch, uh, $2,700, I suppose for the branding. You're, buy- you're buying the brand, then maybe that's what you would expect to pay for it. Uh, whether you think that's a good deal or not, I suppose is all down to whether you want to be a billboard for a Pomo on your wrist. David, would you buy one of these or wear one of these? I I really like the dial with this with this wonky large um, numerals and the and the large hands and the subdial and all that. I I quite like that. It's very old school. It's like a hundred year old, hundred and twenty year old dial design. And the huge branding, the, the, it's so obnoxious. It's so 2022 that, or, or at least 21st century. It's a weird way of merging these things, and uh, it's it's controversial in the sense that here's a brand that does nothing but takes a dial from 120 years ago and just puts their own brand on it, as that they had invented it. But at the same time, somehow it creates this link between years, you know, gone past, and 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 the way we wear um, apparel and accessories today. And for that reason, I like it. I I really don't like this case. The case is absolutely unbelievably bad you know, looking at the pictures it's like one stamping like ding ding and then it's done and for three grand i think that's that's, that's quite poor but overall i believe uh, you know what ariel is saying when he says that it has a good feeling and a good vibe overall on the wrist so sure i i could wear this i'm not rushing to the nearest ruffler and store with two thousand seven hundred dollars but you know um i could i could see myself wearing this i, I want to say one thing about what david's talking about he's correct this the case does not look as though it was made like other ones but it's intentionally made that way in order to look Mm. like an older piece where Mm. they were not cnc milled they were stamped or cast so it has more of a cast look to it which again is part of that theme and then looking at the dial what i'm realizing is 
doesn't look like they copied a watch dial. It looks like they copied a store clock dial, right? If this is a clock in the store reminding you where you are, that kind of looks point. like what they've done here. And that might have been sort of the theme. So again, I think that there's a, there's enough quirkiness here that as, a, as collectors, we can just sort of like forget, for example, that's a fashion watch and be like, oh, they did the case in this traditional way or the size or the movement or this. Like it's a genuine nerd enthusiast watch, but really intended for a slightly more mainstream audience. And I think that's something that pretty much everyone likes watches can rally around. Yeah, it's it's quirky enough. I just I just wish it had an old price attached to the old case as well. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> $15.99. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not the only brand that you more associate with fashion stepping into the watch game or stepping up their watch game this week. We also had something from Tom Ford. Logo is not quite as big, but it's definitely there. I've critiqued Tom Ford watch in the past as basically being not worth the paper that even the journalists used to write about them. But this does appear to be them at least making an attempt to step up into the real watch world by putting a real movement in it. It's still a bit pricey. It's a bit more of a quirky design. It's, you know, takes a bit of inspiration, but it's maybe a bit discombobulated. It doesn't quite know what it's doing. What do we think of brands like Tom Ford trying to hack away at the bottom end of, you know, the three, two and a half, three grand watch purchasing from people who will be buying a watch not because they're watch geeks but because they happen to just see this and like it and it could be sitting next to an Oris at the same price or a Tudor even at the same price and people will be tempted. Yeah, I, I agree with you. These are interesting designs. I've been noticing that Tom Ford, which again, it's a, it's a licensed relationship with a watchmaker. It's not them themselves, has been coming up with some interesting stuff for the last couple of years. This is sort of the first time I've said, let's sort of write about it, trying to get some of these for review. Seeing them in person, they're nice. But yeah, this is another one of those attempts like you know Ferragamo or with Versace or with Michael Kors or whatever to do a tie-in with uh, an important company. They have some interesting men's watches and they're, they're, they're trying to be the next big fashion watch brand. I don't know that they will hit it with the watches at the prices and the models they have right now, but they're really nice. And, and, and I say that, you know, $3,000 for some of the chronographs, $2,000 for some of the, you know, the, the, the three or two hand ones. So it, it is definitely something they need to sort of sit in the market and burn in for a while, but they are cool. And I encourage stuff like this because so much more money behind design and marketing gets put into it if it's sort of part of this large fashion house. If it's like a little startup brand, it doesn't matter how cool the designs are going to be, you know there's not going to be any branding behind it. So in that sense, I like it when there's branding effort. I mean, this is a nearly three grand watch. It's titanium. It's fixed lugs. Chronograph. It's got an interesting hour hand with a circle at the end rather than a pointer of any sort to envelope the hour markers on the dial. It feels like a fashion watch, but maybe that's just because I have more of an eye for the watches than I do for fashion, <laughs> as would be demonstrated if I was to switch my web camera on for even a moment. So I'm not really sure what to make. Is this just the first attempt? At Tom Ford stepping up and you know they're only producing 150 of these it's DLC finished they'll see if it works and if it works then they'll iterate towards the bits of it that they felt really did work I suspect somebody buying one of these will not appreciate the fixed lugs as fi they'll just go oh that's just what I've got though they'll, they'll probably not know that there's an alternative to that if they're buying it as a fashion watch out of a fashion store the main thing will not be the practicality 
of the watch it will be i like this brand i like this design it fits and all the kind of watchy stuff like spring bars or lack thereof you know movement value and caliber is actually not really a, a consideration david would you deign to wear one of these i really don't like this this um fixed lock design i i it again it, it extends the uh, lock to lock distance big big time in my experience and it even shows in some of their some of the official pictures that the watch just goes straight on for like another quarter of an inch or even more so you just have to have really wide wrists and i'm not saying people are not out there who are like that it's you know more powerful to them that's great but it's not very wearable i like the overall design though i like the strap i like this uh, high contrast dial and all that so the overall impression of the watch is great and I, I can see that a lot of effort must have gone into making this pop the way it does so so yeah it's not just a regular out of you know oem chronograph tom ford with uh, tom ford printed on the dial it's actually a, a a nice nice execution i want to comment there as to what david said about the the wearing comfort and um i also want to sort of second the statement that this is a nice design and again this isn't the first of this aesthetic generation this particular model is new this titanium chronograph which is very cool but this sort of fixed lug design there actually it can be even more comfortable and it really depends on how pliable the strap is so if the strap is a bit stiff david's correct that it can sort of wear awkwardly but if it's a pliable strap what this particular type of design can do is allow the watch to wear kind of high which means that it wraps the, the strap. Really, you're just wearing like a, a strap around your wrist and not really being deformed by the, the shape of the, the, the watch. And so it can be a very comfortable experience there. So I'd sort of wait until we're able to get something like this on the wrist. But one of the pictures has the strap kind of bent to see the under underneath of it. And it leads me to believe that the strap might be reasonably pliable. So I, I think that there's enough sort of design effort here that they may have actually tested out comfort. And, uh, you know, David might be pleasantly surprised. I, I do think the one thing they're missing is they really need to put Tom Ford more, like more Tom Ford. I think I've counted one in the dial, three on the case back and one in the strap. So clearly we need uh, more. It's missing from the Tom crown. Ford. They need to put Tom Ford on the crown. Yeah. His face. Just, just laser etch his face into the crown. <laughs> We're really interested to see here what folk think about this because clearly, I mean, I, I, I've said for a year or so now that watches are becoming, or, or the geek element of watches is becoming so much more mainstream. Mm. Like people will go and see a film and then they'll be commenting and asking about what watch was being worn. They're not watch collectors, they're, they're not buying multiple watches, but they're interested. And I think some of these big fashion houses are now recognising that, wait a minute, there is an opportunity here because people are wanting to buy a watch that matches an outfit or says something else about them that their clothing and their footwear and their headgear doesn't just say that watches really are becoming a lot more mainstream. The number of people I've had speak to me about having seen something on YouTube that was somebody talking about watches, not because they search for it, but because they're interested in other things and the YouTube algorithm is now punting folk towards watch content that a year, 18 months ago, the algorithm simply wouldn't have done that. It would have just sent them down more about fragrances or mm. belts or shoes or something like that. Watches is now being folded into that. So interested to hear what people think about this. That is us for the week. Gentlemen, David, you are beginning to make the slow trek home with your snowshoes. When do you get to escape? 
from <sighs> from Sweden, meatball laden. Hopefully, I'll I'll be home Wednesday late at night, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and uh, yeah. You've been enjoying the herring? Zero herring, actually. I had some game, which was really, really delicious. And the texture was just amazing. The food here is really good. It's it's one of the few less resources that you can return to for a sense of civilization. A good food. And and, <laughs> uh, and a lot of beer people have been having. I, I, I had one or two over the last two days. And... Uh, it's 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 actually good beer, so it, it really shows that people care about what they eat and what they drink here. But it's just a lot of water for me mainly because it's so freaking dry. Good stuff. And Ado, you getting ready to go surfing? Uh, it's still a bit cold for that. Maybe a light <laughs> wetsuit. Um, I'm going to be going to Manhattan pretty soon for some meetings and events, including the opening of the fancy new uh, Chopard Boutique on Fifth Avenue that they are quite excited about. Apparently there is some cold weather happening there, so I might have to put gloves on, guys. Mm. Oh, Be no, careful, Aria. Yeah. Make sure and pack your buns. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I will. Don't want, the, don't want your watch freezing to the back of your wrist. Maybe we need to have like a little thing, like those hand warmers, like a little wrist warmer. It's like a little bracelet that goes uh. under your watch. It just keeps it warm. <laughs> I'm feeling next year's April food. No, ours is as way we weirder than that. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Well, thank you for listening. Do check out the Superlative Podcast. If you're listening to this on the Spending Time channel, then do subscribe directly to a blog to watch weekly. Check out our sponsored podcast that we've done recently, one with Brightling, one with Bulgari, and this coming Sunday we'll see the release, hopefully, if all goes according to plan, of one from Arnold and Son and Angelus. So do listen out for that but other than that thank you very much for joining us it's goodbye for me and goodbye from both of them bye everyone bye everyone